several weeks ago, we began this series called Snapshots. And if you're brand new with us today, here's what's taking place. We're looking at the book of Mark. Um, that's one of the Gospels. And we realize that there's different snapshots, different opportunities, different stories of people encountering Jesus throughout the book of Mark. And what we're recognizing in these encounters that they have with Jesus is that they're all a moment that their faith kind of comes up to be examined. And so it's snapshots of their faith. And here's what I love about this, this whole um, series that we're in. It's not picture-perfect faith. Really what it is is just these moments in the lives of these individuals, and they're coming face-to-face -face with Jesus, and their faith is growing. Most of the stories that we're looking at, none of them have perfect faith. And that always makes me feel good because I realize this. Most days of my life, if someone was to take a snapshot of how I'm doing with Jesus, it's never picture-perfect. It's just a moment in my life. And so it's just our opportunity. In fact, as you walked in today, you might have saw on the walls these different like pieces of paper. And here's what we've encouraged everyone to do. When you come in, grab a piece of paper and write out your own faith story. It might be your faith story of when you actually came and met Jesus as your Savior. Maybe it's an opportunity later on in life that God just encountered you in a certain way and your faith grew. But here's what we're hoping. By the time we finish this series at the end of May, that all of us have posted a snapshot of our face, of our photograph, but of our story that we can all go around and read. Because here's what I'm learning. Just as I read about these snapshots of faith of these New Testament characters, and it helps encourage me, when I walk around and read about your snapshots of faith and how God grew you in certain ways, it is a huge encouragement to me, and I know it will be to you as well. So that's kind of the snapshot series. Now, I need to warn you, if you've not read the Bible much, if this all come to church is kind of new to you, the story that I'm going to read to you today out of the book of Mark is one of those stories that it's a little bit different. We're going to look at the story that we often refer to as the transformation, the transfiguration. And it's got some elements in there. If you've never read the Bible much, as I begin reading this to you, you're going to kind of take a step back going, what's going on here? We're going to find out that Jesus and some of his friends get together. They go up on this mountaintop. There's some Old Testament prophets that came back from the old, like they've been dead 1,500 years, and they show up. So you see it's kind of getting weird already. And there's this moment, though, that it is not a weird moment. I think it's a holy moment. It's a moment that lets us see into the life of Jesus in a deeper way than he's shown himself at any point in his life at this season. And so if you have your Bibles, we'll have it up on the screen if you want to look at it with me. It's Mark chapter 9, and we'll start there in the second verse of that ninth chapter. And here's what it says. Six days later, Jesus took Peter, James, and John. Now, Peter, James, and John were three of his disciples. They were kind of his inner circle. They were kind of, if he had 12 good friends, the disciples, these were like his three best friends. So the Bible says he took Peter, James, and John and led them up a high mountain to be alone. And as the men watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed, and his clothes became dazzling white, far whiter than any bleach, earthly bleach could ever make them. So I want for just a second, let's put ourselves on the mountaintop with them. So Jesus looks at these three disciples and says, hey guys, we're going to go take a little tour here for a second. I want you to come with me. We'll leave the rest of them back over here. Y'all just follow me and just, you'll figure out when we get there what's going to take place. So he takes them up on this mountain. And theologians believe there's a mountain in Israel that's about 9,000 feet tall. So it was a little journey they had to get up there. And they get up on this mountain. And I imagine they're sitting around going, okay, are we going to sit and have lunch because this has been a long hike? We're a little hungry. Jesus, are we going to pray? Are you going to teach us some new things about you? And all of a sudden, the Bible says this, that Jesus begins transforming into a whiteness that even a bleach couldn't do. 
he began to glow like the Shekinah glory that we read about in the Old Testament. And so for just a moment, before we know and read how the story ends, I want you to put yourself in the place of the disciples. Remember what's taking place here is a snapshot. I mean, if they had cameras, they probably would have pulled out their camera right there going, I've got to get a picture of this. But what was really taking place, Jesus was about to reveal himself in such a way that if anybody was going to take a photograph, it would be Jesus on the disciples. Because he was about to grow their faith and he was develop their faith and push their faith further than it's ever been before. Remember, Jesus is not after a picture-perfect faith. He's after a growing faith right now. And so this is the scene right now. Jesus is turning white, he's glowing, and the three disciples are just sitting there, probably mouths open wide, just going, what in the world is going on? And look what it says next. After his clothes became dazzling white, far whiter than earthly bleach could ever make them, it says this in verse 4. Then Elijah and Moses appeared and began talking with Jesus. Now, Elijah was an Old Testament prophet, had lived like a thousand years earlier. Moses was kind of the, the beginning, the, the father of our faith that had the Ten Commandments, and you've probably seen the movie about him. He lived 1,500 years earlier. So at this white, dazzling Jesus was catching the eyes of the disciples. Can you imagine when these two Old Testament, and we call them characters, but, but they were men of faith. These were men that, that the disciples had grown up hearing stories about as young kids growing up. And all of a sudden, they appeared. Now, you may be sitting here going, I don't really know Moses, and I don't know Elijah, so you're not really putting it, just understanding it. So let me put it in a different context. Imagine, Joe calls me this week and says, hey, Keith, my friend has this new sports bar. I'd like to take you there, so let's just go and just hang out together. So I'm like, sure, I've never been to it, don't know where he's going to take me. I'm thinking he should be fixing the refrigerator filter, but that's okay, he asked me to go. <laughs> So he and I take off, and we go in the sports bar, and it's nice, okay? And as we walk in, they've got TVs everywhere where you can watch the games going on. And as we walk in, because he knows the owner, he says, hey, I've got a special room for us. And we go back to the VIP room. And as we sit down, and they bring us some hors d'oeuvres, they bring us some nachos out there, they bring us some drinks out there. And I'm thinking, this is pretty good treatment, right? I mean, Joe knows the owner. He's taking care of this. And as I'm eating nachos, I look up, and in the sports bar that I had no idea where it was, what it was before I got there, John Elway walks in, okay? <laughs> and right after John Elway sits down, Steve Atterwater, one of the famous Denver Broncos, walks in, and right behind him, Terrell Davis, and right behind him, I've got to look at my notes because I'm like Roger Staubach, and I'm like the real <laughs> football players here, but I'm trying to stay Bronco-focused right now, right? But these three or four all-time, like, stars, Hall of Fame caliber of Denver Broncos walk in, and I'm going, oh my. Now, I don't want to get up. I don't care if I finish my nachos. I'm like, let's just stick around here for a while because these are the all-stars. That's exactly what the disciples were going through. Only thing difference, their all-stars had been dead 1,000 or 15 years before that, and they showed up. So a little bit different going on here. So they walk in, and look what happens next. Then Elijah and Moses appeared, and they began talking with Jesus. And Peter explained, remember, what's going on here is not this photo snapshot of Jesus and Elijah and Moses. It's really what's taking place with the disciples. And Peter explained, explained, Rabbi, it's wonderful for us to be here. Let us make three shelters as memorials for you. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And he said this because he didn't really know what else to say, for they were all terrified. 
Now, this sounds like a great thing. Like, if I'm in that sports bar and they walk in, I'm going, let's order some more drinks. Let's get some more nachos. Let's hang out here for a second. And that might be fun for all of us in the room. But in the story of Jesus and the disciples, Peter made a big mistake. Because when he said, let's build these shelters, you know what he was saying? This is so good, I don't want to leave here. This is so good, I'm going to put a tent over us, and let's just make this our new home. Why would I want to go out there with all those people and all the hurting people and all the things that Jesus wants to do in the coming kingdom because I could just stay right here with this dazzling Jesus, and I got Elijah, and I got Moses, and let's just stay here. Let's celebrate this moment and never leave this moment. Now, church, here's why I bring this up now. We've had a day of celebration, haven't we? We looked at what God has done in us and through us the last six months and 12 months and through peoples and through endeavors and through ministries. And there is the fear. There is the temptation that we can say, you know what, this is so good, let's just build a tent around us. This is so good, let's just stay here. This is so good, let's not move forward, let's not change things, let's just stay right here because this is good stuff. Let's go back to our story. Had Jesus given a head nod and said, yeah, let's just stay here, it would have thwarted and stopped the very coming of the kingdom that he was trying to build. Jesus wasn't about becoming comfortable in the moment. He was about pushing forward in the future. And church, may I bring us this moment of admonition going this one. It is good to celebrate, but it is not good to linger in the celebration. Because God has more in store for us. God wants to do more in us and through us. God wants to use us in Littleton and the surrounding community in a way that we can't even imagine. And so if we spend all of our time high-fiving one another and patting each other on back and just saying, let's celebrate and let's stay here because to change things makes us uncomfortable, we would be missing the very thing that God wants in our lives. The story goes on to say this. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, this is my dearly loved son, listen to him. Now, I wish I could be there because I'd want to see the dazzling Jesus. I wish I could be there because I'd want to see Moses and Elijah and see if Moses really looks like Charlton Heston, right? I want to, I want to see that. But this moment right here is the one I want to be at. Because the holy God, the creator of the universe, the one that holds it all together, who sent his son Jesus to this earth to die for our sins, his voice speaks from the heavens. And he said, this is my son, my dearly loved son. There's no way I'd ever try to claim to get in who God is and understand him. His ways are so much greater and bigger than our ways. But I could get in my heart and my head. And when my son does something that makes me proud, when my son does something that makes me love him even deeper because of the love that he has for the world. There is a fondness, there is an expression of my heart and my soul that I just want to look at him and say, my dear son who I love so much. And to think of the heavenly father up in heaven that looks down at his son that is in days and weeks and months from dying on the cross for a sin that he didn't commit for giving his life sacrificially that we could have a relationship with God. 
and he's looking down at his son and he said this is my dear son that i love so much i've got to believe that there is an emotion there is a fondness there is a love going on here that we can't even comprehend on an earthly level and then god says those those words echoes them for them to hear listen to him listen to him because god was saying listen to him because jesus was about to take peter james and john and the disciples and you and i into this moment to say the kingdom is not about celebration the kingdom is about moving forward that jesus was going to take the hardest step in moving the kingdom forward by his death on the cross but after he died on the cross, the Great Commission, he says, now go forth all of us into the world. And so here's what I want to admonish us as a church, South Sub. Let's celebrate. Let's enjoy God-given bacon and some jelly donuts. And then let's high-five and say charge to one another. If we think that someone sitting in our seat is the biggest inconvenience of following Jesus, you better wake up, church, because there's a whole lot more uncomfortableness coming, right? Because God never called us to coast. God never called us just to take it easy. Follow Jesus and your life will be easier. Anybody here's life is easier because you're following Jesus? We still get sick, we still hurt, we still get mad, people hurt us, we still die. That part doesn't go away, but God walks with us. Jesus walks with us in every moment that we have the faith to follow him. And I told you in the next 12 months, we're going to do some time for evaluation, and we're going to do some time for planning, and we're going to collaborate and come together. My heart will be sad if we come together and say, let's plan for the next 12, year, 12 months, and we look at each other going, well, the last 12 months is so good, let's just rinse and repeat. Because I don't think rinse and repeating will change the world in the name of Jesus. He's going to call us to take steps in our own personal lives and acts of faith with our neighbors, people we work with in our community that we've never thought about before. Denise and I, this past week, we, we finally found out we've been looking at this home that we really, really love that we're building out in Sterling Ranch. And we loved it. We kept waiting for the loan officer to love us as much as we love the house. The loan officer called and said, we love you as long as you keep paying. We'll love you. We'll love you. But I share that with you. We won't move into it for six more months. I'm already praying for my neighbor. There's a coffee shop in Sterling Ranch. I'm praying that God would raise up and we could do a Bible study for all of the community right there. I'm praying that there's a way that all of a sudden we got to start sending buses from Sterling Ranch to bring them to church on Sunday morning because Sterling Ranch is coming to South Sub. I share that with you going, my heart says, Jesus, do more in us than we could ever imagine. Take us further than we ever dreamed of. Help us not to become a church that we pat ourselves on the back and say, ooh, I, I go to a good church and it feels good to go here. I pray this, that God makes us a church that all of Denver looks at and says, I can see God moving and working the hands and feet in that church. That's my prayer for us. Now, these last few weeks as I've got here, in my own time with God, I've gone, God, we're not making plans yet. We're not setting goals. But in my heart, Jesus, how do I start praying specifically for the church? And I want to take just a few minutes and share with you three specific prayers that I'm praying in my heart. 
it's weird. I say that and I feel emotional, but they're coming out of my heart. This thing that God is birthing in me for us. And here's the first prayer that I'm praying. Jesus, would you bring renewal to the hearts of the mature believers? Let me say that again. Jesus, would you bring renewal to the hearts of the mature believers? Now, don't get defensive. You're saying I'm not spiritual? You think I got to do something? No, 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 not at all. And this church is full of mature, spiritually vibrant people. But the minute I look in the mirror and say I'm spiritually vibrant and I high-five myself in the mirror, I'm going backwards. That God is always wanting to do something new in us. It, it, it's interesting as I've just looked in my own life, experienced it. The easiest way to become cold in our spiritual lives is to rely on the very vehicle that God gave us for our spiritual lives, and that's the church. Let me explain again. Let me sit back and explain that. God gave us the church. This is the body of Christ. This is the vehicle that God gave us to reach the world. But we can get so in a rut of our church life that we miss the very Jesus who's the head of the church. And I am praying that every day we wake up as individuals, mature believers that have been following Jesus longer than I have, and you don't say, oh, Jesus, let me just look back at all the photo albums, snapshots of what you did in my life 10 years ago or 20 years ago or 30 years ago. But we open up our photo album and go, God, would you put a new picture of faith in my life today? Would you stretch me in a way that I've never thought about being stretched tomorrow so I can put a new photo album in there or a new photo or a snapshot in there? I look back in the book of Jeremiah, and this is what Jeremiah the prophet prayed and said. He says, go and shout this message to Jerusalem. It is what the Lord says. I remember how eager you were to please me as a young bride long ago, how you love me and you follow me, even in the barren wilderness. And Jeremiah the prophet is looking to the Israelites. I remember, God says, I remember when you first encountered me, you would go anywhere with me. Remember the first person you fell in love with? Like, you do stupid things when you fall in love, right? Ridiculous things. And then we get a little aged and mature in our relationship with our spouse and like, well, we don't need to do that so much and let's not do that. And we get in this rut sometimes in our marriage. And God's looking at the Israelites going, I remember when you were young and you first fell in love with me, you would do anything for me. And then he says this, for my people have done two evil things. They have abandoned me, the fountain of living water, and they have dug for themselves cracked cisterns that can hold no water at all. And God's going, I am the living water, but people traded me for these cisterns of water, cracked pots. How much water can be held in a cracked pot? And what Jeremiah the prophet is saying is God has more living water. Water just goes and goes and goes and goes and goes. Living water that will drink and fill us full and give us more and more and more. But we trade it for something we can hold him in. South Sub, here's my encouragement, my prayer for us. And I say us because I'm in this. The moment that I try to create a church that can hold God is the moment I pray God moves me from this church. I want to be a part of a church that we just have to keep taking our hands off going, God, we can't keep up with you. We can't keep up with you. But God's going, I'm a living water, God, and I will flow, and I will flow, and I will flow. But what we try to do sometimes in our religion is, we say, oh, there's water over here, and we try to, and we need organization 
But can we all just say right now, next year when we come together to celebrate, can we just go ahead and celebrate right now that we're not going to try to hold God in? I hope we spill God in the, in the byways and the highways and the streets and everywhere around here. And the neighbor's like, could you kind of hold God back for a while because we can't handle any more of him? That's the living water that Jeremiah said. So I am praying that Jesus would bring renewal to the hearts of mature believers. Here's my second prayer. That Jesus would bring kids and their families to our church. And I put kids in there first on reason. Because it's the kids that's going to bring mom and dads. I know mom and dads got to drive them. I pray this, that Debbie comes in here in, in weeks to come going, hey, can you people stop? Okay, we don't have enough room downstairs, okay? There's so many kids coming in here that, um, guess what? I need some of y'all to go downstairs and help. I pray kids and more kids. And you know why that? Because the kids are the future of South Sub Church. If we continue making this church to fit us and not adjust it to, more, to make it where kids want to come, we will be a church in 20 years that we will be singing our own funeral song. I love the story of Jesus in Matthew chapter 19. But Jesus said, let the children come to me. Don't stop them. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to those who are like children. And he placed his hands on their heads and he blessed them before he left. Wouldn't it be beautiful that when we came here, we just put our hands out. I bless you. I bless you. I bless you. I bless you. Because there's kids running around so rampant in here. You can't even control them enough to put your hand on. They're just running rampant. And go, no, that makes me go crazy. Well, let's go crazy for Jesus if we go crazy, right? <laughs> but Jesus said, let the children come unto me. And I go back. It's kind of a, a funny question that Joe and I have talked. It's like, the, the, you know, Keith, what you're, what you're called, what you wear. I, I want to respect all people. But if I have to defer what I wear to those who like it to be dressed a certain way because that's what we've always liked, or defer what I dress so the families will come in here and feel comfortable, I want to make the families feel comfortable. Because if they don't feel comfortable, they'll never bring their kids. And if they never bring their kids, the kids will never hear about Jesus. Statistics are out there that says this, if a child doesn't accept Jesus by the time they're 18, the, the, the statistic of how, how difficult the percentage of them accepting Jesus later on in life goes down more and more and more and more. Doesn't mean God can't do a radical change in someone's life as an adult, but just the chances when they're kids is so much higher. And so my prayer is this, Jesus, would you bring the kids and their families to the church? And then here's my last prayer. Jesus, would you bring young adults to our homes? This is a little bit different. I'll explain this one. Jesus, would you bring young adults to our homes? Here's what I know about the 20-something, even the 30-something crowd. If they don't already go to church, church is a very uncomfortable place for them. Like if they come, they're not going to let the guard down enough to connect in relationship. And when they do come, especially 20s and somethings, these, these young adults that aren't married, that are starting their career and they're trying to build the foundation of their life, and these young marrieds with no kids, when they do come, here's what they're looking for. Authenticity. And here's what I've learned in my ministry. The type of authenticity and connection and relationship they're looking for will probably happen in a home before it happens in the church. 
For our 20s and somethings, we often think the foyer is the first step into the church. Someone's home will be the first step before they ever make it to the foyer. And I'm telling you, as Denise and I build our house, we're going, God, this is more house than we need. But would you bless our house? Would you make our house a safe place for young adults to come? Young adults to come and hang out together. Young adults to come and begin opening up to God's Word and just little by little showing them what God's Word says. A safe place for them to build relationships horizontally. And then here's my prayer. We get a house full of 10 or 15 or 20 young adults, and then I can look at them and go, hey, can we take a step together next week to church? Because you got your people around you, you got your tribe around you, and it's a good place to go. My house will only hold 20. My house is not even built. I don't want to wait six months for this to happen. I'm praying, God, will you bring young adults to our houses, to our homes? Some of you have kids or grandkids that are 20 or 30-somethings, and they've walked away from the church, and they've walked away from Jesus in your prayers. Would you bring my grandchild to someone's home? Will you bring my grown child to someone's house that they can experience the very Jesus that you spent your whole life trying to show them who he was? I look back in the book of Acts, the first church. You realize this, the first church didn't build a big building like this. The first church didn't have PowerPoint up there. The first church didn't have cameras. The first church didn't have a, anything that we have. The first church had a house. In Acts chapter 2, it says, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the sharing of the meals, including the Lord's Supper and a prayer. And then the next verse says this, And a deep sense of awe came over them. And my prayer is that our homes would open up and 20s and 30-somethings would come into homes and through the fellowship and the breaking of the bread and the eating that they would sense God. And a deep sense of awe would come over them. Do you realize this? The same Jesus in the transfiguration that was sparkling white I'm not sure he's going to show up in my house, and I kind of hope he doesn't because that would freak me out. But the same Jesus that he was trying to show the disciples who he would be as a risen Savior wants to come into our church, into our homes, and into our personal lives. And when we experience that Jesus, if you think we're celebrating today, <laughs> we will be celebrating in a way that the world will look at us going, they are crazy. Okay, they're jumping and hooping and hollering and clapping. I don't care what we do, because when we come in that kind of encounter with a living Jesus, it gives us cause to celebrate. And so here's the thing I love about Jesus. When he's taking snapshots of each of our lives today, he doesn't look at today's snapshot going, that's all there'll ever be. They'll, that's all they will ever be. He's taking a snapshot going, and I got so many more down the road, and I want them to become and know me in deeper, greater ways, no matter how long we've been following Jesus. So today, church, I'm happy to celebrate. Tomorrow, church, will you join me in moving forward? Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for this day whole lot of days out there God you've given us but this day is a really good day and we do celebrate we celebrate the things that you've done through us 
we celebrate for the things that you've done for us. God, we just celebrate for the things you do in us. And so thank you that we get to be a part of your big plan. And so, Father, as we celebrate, would you wake us up tomorrow with just a fire in our bones to go forward in your kingdom that we will create more and more and more snapshots of what you're doing in and through us. And we pray this, Jesus, in your holy name. Amen.